the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. For those of you that are watching on Periscope, thank you for tuning in there. And those of you listening on The Answer San Diego, you can go over to Periscope at, at Eagle excuse me, at Eagle Ed Martin on Periscope, which is a Twitter uh, video f- feature, and you can watch it there. So thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for being there and listening. Great to be with you. We have another great show. we got some great guests. We're going to talk China. China. We're going to talk China first in the wink, uh, but also we'll have our friend General Spalding, Robert Spalding, on the program. He wrote a book called Stealth War. Stealth War, very important book on China. Uh, you want to check that out. And then we'll talk with a very interesting man, a professor, Larry Schweikert, who has got a website, wildworldofhistory.com, teaching history uh, from a, well, I wouldn't say it's a conservative standpoint, just teaching good history. And so uh, we will talk with him. All right, before we get to that, I mentioned to you all the um, upcoming series uh, starting tomorrow on Wednesday. In just a few hours, it'll post on Hulu. Hulu's the streaming service. I'm, I've learned all this. I didn't quite know all these details. Hulu is a streaming service. You have to sort of uh, be a member of Hulu to get their streaming service, and they stream all kinds of content. One of them is the FX series starring Kate Blanchett as Phyllis Schlafly called Mrs. America. And it will begin tomorrow morning and about five hours, six hours from now in the middle of the night. It posts all three of the first episodes. And then over the next six weeks, there'll be six more episodes, nine hours total on Mrs. America, a totally um, untrue slanted version of the ERA fight in the 1970s. Good news is Phyllis Schlafly and the band of conservatives win uh, the fight. The ERA was to change the Constitution and put abortion in there and put the feminists in there and all this stuff. So they win. But it's otherwise it's going to be slur, slanted against Phyllis Schlafly and others. And so we'll see if you I, I found this out. If you want to be a you can get Hulu. It's a paid service, but you can get a one month trial subscription if you want. And you can sign on and then you can go ahead and watch the first part of this series in the uh, next couple of weeks. It, it launches tomorrow and then for four or five weeks. And then if you want to, if you don't like the service, you can cancel it. I'm not telling you to just take advantage of their pitch, but you get the point. Uh, and I'll be doing that myself to see at least the first part of this. So it'll be interesting. But that's just a little bit of what's going on. We'll cover more of that tomorrow because I will have seen the first part of it. Um, but it, uh, I just found out the very last scene of the whole series is a Phyllis Schlafly seated with a button. She's talking to Ronald Reagan on the phone, and the button is uh, Ronald Reagan, make America great again. Uh, that was He used that slogan just like Donald Trump. So at least they're linking the two together. That Phyllis Schlafly was most famous perhaps at the end of her life, uh, had been famous for lots of other things, but very famous at the end of her life as one of the uh, the, the more prominent, probably the most prominent conservative to back Donald Trump very early. So she got a lot of credit and attention for that and some criticism at the time, which she didn't mind. She was 92 years old. She'd sort of gotten past if she ever cared what people thought. She didn't care then. She was sure of herself and she turned out to be right. So, but let's talk about what you need to know today because it's a little different than what you think. You might think we're going to do a COVID-19 wrap up, talk about the Wuhan virus, all that stuff. Sort of, sort of. Here's what I want to tell you. And we're going to talk with General Spaulding in just a few minutes about this. What you need to know is I believe that we are now in the second Cold War. 
And the first Cold War, of course, was uh, the Soviets versus America, and really the Soviets versus the world. They had their hooks into Europe, and they had their hooks into other parts of the world. But the communists in the Soviet empire wanted to dominate the world. Now it is the Chinese communist regime which wants to dominate the world. It's China versus the world. And America's the only uh, player in our side, on our side, that can beat China. But here you have to play it back. This is a big deal. I mean, I'm not saying this lightly. I mean, it's a big deal to believe that we're not adversaries. We're not rivals. We're not sort of, you know, friends that are having a tough time if we just get a better trade deal. No, I'm telling you, we are now in the second Cold War. It's China, the communist Chinese versus the world. And why do I say that? Well, for 25 years, they've stolen our technology and they've taken what, what, what Americans did and, and rest of the world did, took 100 years to do in terms of technology, and they stole it. They either stole it outright or they did it by tech transfer. They've taken the American economic system and by cheating, both in terms of their economic management, their own, you know, floating against the dollar, their currencies, and also cheating in terms of the, how they manage their economy, they've stolen and transformed our manufacturing for the last 25 years. And then even more galling to me is that the, and all, by the way, all the while they built up their military and they built up the strength of their military. They're not shy about that. But more galling than anything is the last five years as we've watched that they pump into America fentanyl, the, the fentanyl epidemic of the last five years where Americans are dying every year, 50,000 about Americans die from fentanyl overdose. And that's all China. And they're doing it. If, they, if I told you I could design a way that we could go kill 50,000 50, of your people every year, and I did it, you'd say I was your enemy. I think. You wouldn't say, oh, it's a rival. I don't know. How could it go? And then China has co-opted, and we'll ask uh, General Spaulding about this. They've co-opted everybody from the World Health Organization to the UN. The Belt and Road Initiative that they've done has meant that they've co-opted the Italian government and the Peruvian government and all these places where they go in and they throw money at a problem, and then they get a piece of your future. In parts of Latin America and South America, they have massive satellite uh, monitoring systems in our, sort of in our backyard, in our hemisphere. I mean, what happened to the Monroe Doctrine? We'll talk about that. But, but so here's, and then the Wuhan virus, where, you know, China is living in a world where they're letting these wet markets happen. Where at, So either the Wuhan virus spread through the wet markets or it spread from the lab. Either way, it was either accidental or intentional. But either way, at a certain point, you'd say the negligence of the management of the way these people are living, the people of China, is an indication of, the, uh, of, the, of how China, the government, the, the regime, thinks about America and Americans and the world, actually, the world, not just us. And so they have taken the world to its knees. They have taken the world to its knees economically as we fight this Wuhan virus. And so we are no longer, what you need to know is we're no longer rivals, you know, f fighting about the technology. By the way, one more detail on the, on the 5G and Qualcomm and everything else. You watch China manipulate the management of the standards to try to dominate the systems that will impact our lives for, for you know, in every single way, for, for every aspect of our lives. So we're no longer able to say, hey, this would be really good if we got a better deal. Uh, it'd be really sweet if we could get, if we could rely on the, the, the Chinese to shoot straight. No, they've proven that they'll never shoot straight. 
Their goal is not to shoot straight with it. Their goal is not to play fair. Their goal is not to be honest brokers. They are totally against us. And the sooner we realize it, the sooner we'll understand we're in a second Cold War. Let me be clear. 1.4 billion people are being led by a regime of a couple hundred million and they have nuclear weapons and they have a mindset that's against us and they've done all the kinds of tricks that the devil does to control people. All that's happening. But it's no longer, oh man, it'd be really great if we could get just a little better deal. They'd buy a little more from our farmers. We do a little better on this. No, no, we're not. We may not, by the way. And I don't want to hear anybody say, let's decouple. Decouple is what you do with somebody that you sort of still get along with. When there's no decoupling, this is a cold war. I don't want a hot war. Don't get me wrong. I, I, but I, I'm not willing to say I'm going to be in, in the face of the Chinese complaints. I'm no longer going to say, oh, it's not a Wuhan virus. Oh, I don't want you. They don't want it. Oh, let's just decouple. No, it's a cold. It's the second cold war. It's a second. It's a second cold war. And the reason it works, the reason it's echoed. The reason it matters is because we saw it. We saw it play out after World War II when we had a rivalry. We had, a, excuse me, we had an allied. We were allied with Russia. Then we had a rivalry for a while. And then we realized, wait a second, Russia's not exactly a rival. The Soviets have decided they want world domination. And we, and we had to switch our mindset. And far too many Americans stood around and said, well, they're pretty good people. I mean, we, eh, you know, I don't want to make too much trouble. I mean, let's just work this out. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, uh, you know, well, let's, not, let's not overdo this. You know, what, 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 what do you think? I mean, you know, let's, let's not kind of, you know, kind of, and that mindset shift that had to happen is the most important thing that we can start to do today, that we can understand today about what the second Cold War will be, how it will be, come about and what it will mean for our country. But it's not minor. It's not just a change in kind of uh, what we're thinking. It's not just a kind of, oh, well, what could we, you know, what are we going to do? No, this is, um, this is, you know, um, this is a big moment. It's a big moment. All right, let's take a break. We come back. We'll talk with our old friend, General Robert Spaulding, uh, who is an expert on China now. His book is Stealth War. We'll talk about that and a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. We'll be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Uh, we have had as a guest on the program in the past uh, General Robert Spaulding, and he is the author of a very uh, important book, a very helpful book, uh, called the, it's called Stealth War. And if you haven't seen it, I've talked about it a number of times, uh, Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept. It's a pretty darn good description of exactly what went on. And he has, uh, the general has served in our Air Force, of course, and as a pilot, but also at the highest levels of our of the administration. Uh, and uh, actually right now pinned on his Twitter feed, which is uh, at Robert underscore Spaulding, you can get a sort of summary by him, written by him, and I think it's a thread of three or four uh, tweets about the book Stealth War. It's a good way to look into it and see what it's about and then go buy it so uh, first of all welcome general how are you sir thank you so much 
Well, so listen, I, I want to be a little edgy. I just did a segment on my open to the show, which I call What You Need to Know. And I, I mentioned that I, I think at this point, when you take a combination of what we know, and you know, you've influenced my thinking on this, but when you look at what we know in terms of tech transfer, stealing intellectual property, you know, mismanaging their economy against ours, or, you know, managing theirs against ours, fentanyl and how it kills Americans, and now the, the, the Wuhan virus, I, I said at this point, you know, we might as well admit we're in a second Cold War. I mean, it's China versus the world now. And, and why am I wrong? Well, yeah, it's China versus the world. But, you know, interestingly enough, it's not it's not only China because, you know, they've been able to incentivize a lot of the elites in, in the in the free world. So um, we talk about Tedros, the, the director general of the World Health Organization, acting very much right. in line with uh, Chinese Communist Party diktat. And you see uh, corporate leaders. You see Wall Street leaders, uh, think tanks here in Washington, D.C., law firms, you know, really across the spectrum. You know, the Chinese Communist Party have been able to incentivize a lot of people that, you know, really value democracy and free trade, but really act in, in ways that are counter to that by co being co-opted by the Chinese Communist Party. Well, you know, and, 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 you know, everything is, everything's relative to what we're going through. My, my kids are all home from school. And so we're doing a lot of reading and not homeschooling, but and my son's reading Huckleberry Finn. I think it's Mark Twain that says history doesn't repeat itself, but it echoes, right? So here's what I wonder about after the, you know, we were, we were, we were at the table with Russia and, and the UK and Britain to beat uh, the Germans in World War II. And we came out and we started saying, Hey, we're not building an empire. Let's just rebuild Europe. And, and instead Russia said, yeah, let's just take over portions. Of that. And pretty soon we became became adversaries and then you know and then enemies of the of the soviets and they did a similar thing they did a lot more by force where they seized uh, real estate and then built a wall or dominated the and but they were doing it into uh, you know the, the the continuing validity of the monroe doctrine in the 1970s and 80s when you said hey stay out of our hemisphere because they were in cuba and they were in south america my point here is it's true that china has uh incentivized behavior but they've done it as a as a set of uh, you know it's a clear set of policies. They've gone out and invested in Africa, and and small countries have said, yeah, we'll take your money, and then they own them a little bit, right? And then they've gone and and gone into technology, and then they own them a little bit more. And at a certain point, they're not stopping, right? They're not even slowing. They're sort of accelerating. And the fight in the 1950s and 60s, and the late Phyllis Schlafly, my old boss, used, was in the middle of this, was convincing Americans. That they, the Soviet, you know, communists were not just competitors; they were actually a real enemy. Isn't that the problem? Isn't that what stealth war is doing, and what you're talking about? That's exactly right. We're, we're trying to actually portray the Chinese Communist Party as they actually are, not as we wish them to be. You know, Joseph Nye, and you know, former defense official, yeah. would say, "We don't want to make, uh, we don't want to treat them like an enemy." because they will become an enemy. And in fact, they already think of us as an enemy. So it's one of those things where we're not actually looking at the Communist Party uh, through clear eyes and seeing what they see. You know, their ability to use globalization and the Internet was as defined uh, by the document in 1999 written by the two PLA colonels called Unrestricted Warfare or Warfare Without Rules really paints a picture, a strategy, if you will, of how you use the openness of the West to essentially undermine the West. Now, the Soviets never had the ability to execute this. They were never integrated into our society, into our economy, into our academia, into our research labs. 
But the Chinese Communist Party, by being friendly and appearing not to be a threat, have actually done that and insinuated themselves everywhere. Well, and isn't the term? I mean, isn't it, it, when when I mean there there are some people that are sitting there and they're on that we we have these examples that are on the take for the Chinese. You know that guy that Harvard professor up in Boston was Harvard or MIT or some researcher was on the take. But a lot of other people, the phrase is an unwitting agent, right? I mean, we you are not if you can't see the truth. And I guess my question for you, General, is this? And again, we're talking with a uh, General uh, Robert Spalding. His book is Stealth War, and his Twitter handle is at Robert underscore Spalding. Um, and, and General spalding.com is the website you go find out more about him and his and a lot of his writings but my 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 point of my question is we're in this fight about the virus that's real i get it we're all in it but once we get through this will the is there clarity on what china's doing they didn't just have a bad virus themselves they had a bad virus they lied about it they caused us a gazillion dollars of harm and all and then everything else they're doing but is there clarity in your mind now on not not in your mind you know what they're doing but in the in the policymakers have we moved our mindset in america and our leaders to understand what the problem is well we still haven't because remember what eisenhower said beware the undue influence of the military industrial complex what he was talking about is the extreme power, the lobbying power of the defense uh, uh, corporations that actually get paid a lot of money to provide for America's national security. Now, we think of national security in terms of bombs and bullets, but the picture I'm painting is one of data and economics and finance. And then that's the, that's the weapons that the Chinese Communist Party have chosen to wield, and they wield them in the private sector. They don't wield them on a battlefield. And so it's about teaching about what national security means in a globalized, internet-connected world, where in the 21st century, data is a strategic resource that can fuel artificial intelligence to allow you to have the kind of knowledge that Facebook, Amazon, and Google have, but have it in a sense where you can influence populations to your ends. That's essentially what the Chinese have created. And so part of what I do is try to educate, you know, our national security up-and-coming policymakers to understand we're in a completely different fight here. This is not like uh, the Cold War. This is not like the Soviet Union. This is not like any enemy we've ever faced in our in our 240-plus years of existence. Again, we're talking with uh, General Robert Spaulding and, and, uh, and on Twitter at, at Robert underscore Spaulding and GeneralSpaulding.com. The book is Stealth War. Um, okay, now, coming out of this crisis, you know, um, I hope and I, I pray that we're going to see um, the will to, to uh, change our mindset at the highest level. What can the regular person do? You know, I tell the story often. My mother-in-law refused to buy uh, things made in China 25 years ago until about 15 years ago when she couldn't. You know, you couldn't do it. You ended up buying, you know, that was one movement that faded away. What can the regular citizen do to understand what's going on and to fight back? It's not swear at our friends that are Chinese, right? It's silly, right? That's not, but, you know, and that's what the media says. Oh, we're going to be mean to each other. Nobody's mean to anybody. What can we really do, General? No, it's really about making 2020 a referendum on our relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. Make sure the people you elect understand the need to bring back our manufacturing, to actually have a supply chain that's rooted in the United States, to rebuild our infrastructure, to start investing in science and technology and STEM education again, and really to protect Americans' data, to have secure data, Internet, for 
uh, the, the population. And then, to your point, I think we ought to think really hard about where we're buying our products. We already know that we look at these things and say, hey, is this, is this dog food going to poison my pet because it's coming from China? But it's nearly everything that you buy. Not only is it ha- potentially harmful for you or potentially counterfeit, it is also essentially aiding and abetting an oppressive regime. So it's much like apartheid, if you think about it. Let's just stop economically supporting them. Mm-hmm. Hey, General, this is a funny question I just thought to ask you because you're, you're smart. And um, what book other than yours, Stealth War, would you recommend people read right now that would give you some uh, that's important uh, to read right now in this time? Well, I think in, so I talk about a lot of them in the book. So uh, Unrestricted Warfare, I would I would read that. It's a little bit of a difficult read. It's not a long read, but it is kind of complex. It really lays out the Chinese strategy. It's written by two People's Liberation Army colonels. I would look at uh, James Mann's book. It's really called The China Fantasy. Um, there's another book uh, by John Pomfret. If you want to understand this kind of, um, you know, over 200-year uh, relationship with China, between the U.S. and China, that's a good. It's called Beautiful Country and Middle Kingdom. Uh, Michael Pillsbury's book, The 100-Year Marathon, is another good one. Uh, Kissinger's on China is a really good one. So there's a lot of good, uh, you know, sources out there to get information. Hmm. All right. Well, you're one of them, too. So thank you, General Robert Spaulding at Robert underscore Spaulding on Twitter, GeneralSpaulding.com. And the book is Stealth War. You should check it out. Thanks very much, sir. And we'll talk again very soon. Be well. Thank you. All right. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a minute. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So I flagged this a few weeks ago or so. There is a website called wildworldofhistory.com, and there you can see Professor Larry Schweikert. He's uh, he's called America's history professor, history teacher. And uh, I thought, you know what? A lot of us, me included, uh, are have my kids home. We all have our kids home, and we're looking for things for them to look at. And I thought, let's ask this uh, gentleman, Larry, Professor Larry Schweikert, what to do. How are you, sir? Welcome to the program. Good. Just great. All right, so you got all these kids that are coming home. They're all around us. To tell me what you, uh, you know, do you have kids that are school age or are they out of school? They must be out of school, right? No, my son is uh, is thirty some years old and is working in uh, okay, Ohio okay. for a healthcare group. <laughs> ah, wow, good. Well, he's probably got work. That's good. So, all right, now, so what do you say to pa- parents? They're all flailing around. I'm one of them, and I'm like, well, I could get my kids, you know, want someone to watch the Hillsdale Constitution, and what is it? What would you say is the best way to get your kids paying attention to history? Well, one thing we've learned about modern kids. Um, is that they are a video generation, and this started not recently. It's been at least two generations. If you're going to yeah. reach them, you've got to reach them through video. Um, later, if they're excited about what they're seeing, what they're hearing, they will read, but you're not going to start them off reading anything. So um, Mike Allen and I wrote Patriots History of the United States back in 2004, and for a long time, uh, people would say, well, why don't you have a curriculum to go with this? And, and our answer was we didn't have support needed both in terms of web design and marketing support to really put together curriculum. But after I retired, I had that. And so I put together a, a full curriculum for high schoolers. It's really 
eighth graders, advanced seventh and eighth graders can use it, but it's really high schoolers. And the key to the curriculum is that I teach all 22 chapters of Patriots History of the United States in video form, and that seems to be what people really like about the series. Well, it is true, and you know, you put it on there. Are these kids? They 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 watch television. They they watch. I mean, every parent says your kids watch too much television or watch movies or listen to rock and roll. But the video stuff is really powerful. So, do you? Are, what's your best? Um, what what's the sweet spot? Is it younger kids that, that are more open to it? Is it older kids? What do you What do you find uh, in your experience? Well, our curriculum is aimed at uh, high school age, junior high, and high school age kids. Um, we kind of figured that, that Rush Limbaugh, with his series on you know, Liberty, the talking horse, had the really early kids. And, and yep. to be honest, I haven't found something that really kind of fits that that zone between maybe uh, third graders and seventh graders yet, although I'm sure there's some products out there. But uh, a mm-hmm. curriculum needs to have a number of components. It needs to be, uh, obviously, I think it has, has a video component. It has to have a, a close tie to something that's written that, that they can um, not only read but take notes on. With Patriots History, that's, that's no small book. So devising a workbook that went along with that was, was an exercise in, in imagination because <laughs> it's a 900-page book, and yet the students read it, you know, because they have the, the video to go with it. So uh, you've got to make it interesting. It's got to be uh, some video base, we use a lot of primary source documents, too. I don't think you need to do a primary source document every week, but I think four or five per semester, a semester being you know, August through December, I think four or five are a good target for a parent to have when you're trying to do a homeschool uh, session with, with a, a high school-age kid. We're talking with Professor Larry Schweikert, and his website is wildworldofhistory.com. You can go there. I want to ask you about one of the pieces on that website I'm I'm looking at, uh, and the title is Why the Right Fails to Change Culture. And you you begin and you say, we don't do videos, and then you you go on to say, no one in conservative circle denies we're getting crushed in the culture wars. And then jump, I'm jumping a little bit. You say, of course, Andrew Breitbart was the John the Baptist of this element of our culture, creation of the Drudge Report, then later Breitbart News was essential, but it's not sufficient. I guess my question for you is, you've been you've been around this a while now, you know, 25, 30, 40 years of teaching and the, and the conservative, they don't really understand tomorrow on Wednesday, they're going to launch the uh, FX is going to launch a 50 million dollar uh, TV series called Mrs. America, kind of re- trying to rewrite Phyllis Schlafly's role in ERA. And, you know, we uh-huh. keep, you know, yelling at the TV and you and so why is it that we haven't gone past Andrew Breitbart as John the Baptist? I mean, what where is the uh, the creative conservative <laughs> vision? It's just it doesn't seem to be there. Why, and we keep cursing the fates forever and we don't yep. seem to see anything change. I don't know. Uh, you know, as I like to say, our side will spend incredible millions of dollars trying to save a, a house seat, but they won't won't put right. five million dollars or ten million dollars into a a feature film that might have uh, conservative messages. My view, and I think Andrew would support this, is you don't want to have uh, content that beats people over the head with an ideology. Uh, Netflix or whoever's doing the Schlafly show, show <laughs> that's hard to say, Schlafly yeah. show can get away with that because they've done so much other content that's subtle. And and where you mm-hmm. have to start is with the subtle. You've got to start with movies that have a, a good, solid, 
conservative message, but you don't beat people over the head with a conservative message because in the end, it's always about entertainment. And if you're not entertaining, you're missing the boat. So as I said in that article you quoted, I went around to every conservative think tank there was, everybody. I won't name them all here, but you know who they are. Right. And every single right. one of them said, we don't do video. And I'm thinking, how can you not do video in this day and age? That should be the only thing you're doing. You're not going to reach kids with white papers or even having, as much as I like these guys, people like Dinesh D'Souza going to a college campus, he might get 300 people of whom 200 are already in his camp. So maybe he's going to reach 100 people at most. Well, I did two videos for uh, Prager University, each of them four minutes long, one on America's mm -hmm. socialist origins, a million views, over a million views, each one of them. So I reached mm -hmm. over a million people in each of these videos. Dinesh might reach, if he's lucky, 20 or 30,000 people a year with his in-person appearances. So, you know, Dinesh learned a long time ago, you've got to go to video. Yeah. I, and, and, and that's, I agree with you on that. And I think that there, you're seeing some of that communication shift, but what about like the, what about the culture part of it? What about the, you know, if you look, if you look around the field and, you know, in some ways the, um, the, the shutdown or the great pause, as I call it, has made it laid it out even starker. You know, there's, you, you know, there's not, um, all the people that are work, I, you watch all the coverage with the, the, uh, comedians, the late night comedians working from home, all the news, the TV people, almost everybody's liberal. There, there's no conservative. You're not like, Oh, I no. mean, Limbaugh is one of them, but, and then in Hollywood movie after movie, you know, if you're, um, if you know, a conservative like Mel Gibson, well, he's marginalized for all sorts of reasons, but we, we are, or is, you know, and, and the culture charges on. And, um, in, in the segment before this, uh, we're talking with professor, uh, Schweikert, uh, I had a guy, China expert saying that the Chinese spend gazillions of dollars influencing our culture. And so sure. it's, you know, you just kind of shake your head and say, oh, I wish we were more, uh, more moral, but I'm not going to spend any money trying to change it, right? Well, and who's the number one backer now of Hollywood movies uh, is China. Um, you know, Tom right. Cruise and, and the Elephant Kid have a, a company, Skydance, that's uh, financed heavily by China. Now, I did see that China had backed out of legendary pictures, uh, another one they were supporting, but... They are getting their message out, again, through video. And the point I want to make is, and you say, well, why, don't, why doesn't our side do more with this? One reason is our side in, always seems to look for a profit. You know, well, is this picture going to make money? Well, the correct question should be, is this picture going to change minds? Is it going to work toward influencing people? And if it makes money along the way, great. That's the that's the uh, left position on all this. I remember in the Iraq War, there were at least six and maybe seven major movies that came out that were anti-Iraq War. Not one, no right. pro war, but not, not one made the case for the for the Iraq War, right? Uh, and all all seven of those were flops. They were they all lost money. But yeah, somebody that's right. kept investing in them and putting them out, and the message kept getting out, even if they weren't huge hits. Somebody was seeing those movies. Somebody still watches them today. They're out there. And, and conservatives have to understand, maybe you're not going to make a dollar on every single project you back, but backing the project itself is part of what you need to be doing because it's a propaganda war. 
Yeah, it is. Well, I'm glad you're out there. I'm glad the uh, website, and I'll promote it again. So wildworldofhistory.com. Also go track down those Prager Prager ones uh, too because that's really important. I'm glad you did that. And uh, keep up your good work and 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 come back on the show again when you see a reason to come on. We'll have Professor Larry Schweikert on the program. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a minute. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. It's clear that our founding fathers never meant for impeachment to be a political hit job like the Democrats just did to President Trump. If the Democrats ever bothered to read the Constitution, they would know Trump's actions never even came close to being impeachable. Despite all of these facts, the Democrats insisted on dragging the Constitution through the mud in an effort to drag our president along with it. Some Republicans are suggesting that what's good for the goose will be good for the gander if Democrats ever win the presidency again. Now that the Democrats have lowered the standard of an impeachable offense to something as trivial as temporarily withholding American taxpayer funds to a corrupt foreign nation, Republicans could easily impeach a Democrat president pretty quickly. Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa pointed out that the next Democrat president could be impeached using the new low standard adopted by the enemies of President Trump. A future Republican House and Senate could return the favor of routine impeachment in spades if they wanted to stoop as low as the House Democrats have. This warning shot at the next Democrat president should make all Democrats think twice before voting for impeachment like the one earlier this year. It's unlikely that future Republicans would ever stoop this low in a takedown attempt against a Democrat president. But that being said, it's comforting to know that if Democrats try these shenanigans again, it could easily boomerang back on them. The historical significance of the Pelosi impeachment fiasco is its death as a purely political weapon. The impeachment antics struck out with the public, with television and with protesters. Never again should an impeachment be based on secret hearings, refusals to charge a crime, or reliance on deep state bureaucrats with gripes over policy differences. When a presidential election is less than a year away, the people should be the ones who decide whether to reelect a president. We don't need the job of choosing our president taken away from us by the inside-the-beltway career politicians, who are far too biased to be credible anyway. Adam Schiff may not believe the American people can be trusted anymore, but I certainly do. No more sham impeachments. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, you can find, follow, and share our work on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, don't forget, when you hear those great interviews like we had today with Professor Schweikert and also with, um, with General Spaulding, you can go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com and track them down. You can also go to EdMartinLive.com. I've told you before, go there, sign up for my email. You get an email every morning and we'll uh, track down what's going on so that you, uh, you'll get these updates on these kinds of things. So do all that. Let me do a little more on the um, uh, follow-up. I got a text from one of the listeners yesterday about this. I'll do another hit on this. Mrs. America is an FX series, nine hours, but it will start streaming on Hulu tomorrow morning, on Wednesday morning. And so if you go to Hulu.com, you can, if you do a search right now, you can see um, lots of info, lots of reviews that are happening about there. And uh, look, it's going to cover the historical period of the 1970s into early 80, um, which is a key period and which will show the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked, as a great success. Um, she won. She won a battle against the liberals. But they'll probably make her into a terrible person, it being Hollywood and all. So uh, we'll break it down. Uh, if you go to realmrsamerica.com, realmrsamerica.com, you'll see we've done some fact checks and some other things on the movies. Um, and you can go check that out on the uh, trailers of the upcoming series. You can go check those out also. Um, all right. One, uh, one more thing. Another text from one of you. Uh, yes, I did see yesterday's uh, extraordinary press conference. If you get my emails in the morning, every morning, 5 a.m. Pacific time, you get an email from me, the wink. And if you get them, I, you'll notice I've referred a number of times to the fact that uh, Donald Trump's press conferences are similar to uh, FDR's fireside chats. And I've talked to you about this before, that the way Trump frames the issues for the news cycle, he owns it by these press conferences. Now, it's only one cycle. FDR was able to frame the news cycle for three months sometimes longer by having these fireside chats because radio was so new and everything else was done by print, whether it was uh, newspapers every day, weekly newspapers or, uh, or even monthly periodicals. So Trump does that every day. Yesterday's was particularly uh, interesting, especially because he opened with a video that basically showed uh, how dumb the media was and how a lot of Democrat governors supported him, even though the media's and, and the governors are changing their positions all the time. Here's, here's one thing I want to tell you. Yesterday, the president said, I have the authority to, to decide when we come back to work. Now, two things about this. Number one, for the next 12 hours after he said it, the, the Democrat governors and the media yelled and screamed and said, no, 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 we, we get a right to say, we have a right to say, we have a right to say. And so the, the president then had qualified already before the press conference was over saying, we're obviously going to listen to the governors. But the point here was, it's a really hard decision. To see, to see when to go back to work, when to get our economy open. And when the president does it, he's going to have to do it with the support of the governors. And they've now said they're going to make it too. So they put themselves in the pot with him, in the hot pot with him, which is it's, it's a no-win situation. You know that. It's a tough, tough decision. It's going to come and it's going to, it's going to give people pause no matter what. So he's now pulled them in to the decision. You know, they've, they've now claimed a, cha- a share of the decision. No matter what happens, they'll be partly responsible, which is partly his sort of strength is he 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 lets people object and put themselves in the middle of it and the media same way now as to Fauci second to second point Fauci everyone said oh Fauci's going to quit Fauci's going to get fired I mean Fauci's going to get fired and Trump's going to fire Fauci and then Fauci stood up there and said every time I talk to him and tell him my recommendation he takes it now if you're a Trump supporter you're like what I don't know if I trust Fauci but if you're the left and the media you you've you've been you've spent three months or maybe a little less two months making Fauci into a god. He's like the Yoda character, and now Fauci is saying, when I talk to the president, he takes my advice. What do you do now? I mean, what are you supposed to do now? 
And one last point on this. When the president said he has the authority to shut things down, what he means is he may not have to use a constitutional authority. I don't think he's declaring martial law, although he could. What he's saying is the states are so dependent on how things work, money, uh, the, the commerce, and the, the resources. They're going to have their ideas, but ultimately I'm going to be the one that calls the play. In other words, Andrew Cuomo is going to get to express what he wants. He may even do it publicly. And Gavin Newsom may say what they want, I mean, publicly. And they may form these consortiums of, of governors that work together. But ultimately, the, the guy who controls the, the money and the power and the influence, the bully pulpit, is Trump. It is Trump. To think it's anyone else is naive. It's silly. And that's so what he means is not that he's going to dictate every aspect of it. He's going to let everybody buy into it. But ultimately, it's going to be one guy that says, hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to let, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to let things go in this way. Here's some ideas. Here's some of what we're going to do. But then ultimately, we're going to do this. And he does have that authority. And he should have that authority. We're in a, we're either in a war and a crisis beyond and it's not the flu season. Right. It's not the same as uh, it's not the same as a kind of a bad cold. This is a major war and a major crisis. And somebody's got to be in charge. And he is. And I just I I just love the fact that he gets some yelling and screaming about who's going to be in charge. We want to help make the decision. He's going to let them help make the decision. So many of the states are going to have a range within. They can do things like, for example, here's one thing I've heard floated out of the White House. They're going to designate certain people within a range that should go back to work first you know, younger people, but they're going to give the states, depending on what states they're in, the choice on how far to do that. So if you're in New York, you may want to have the age range be lower because you don't, you've got too much sickness right now. And so in other words, the president's going to say, here's the guidelines, operate within the guidelines. And, and, and that's going to be necessary so that we have some semblance of what's going on. Otherwise, if you do it, if you do it uh, any other way, you are going to have people running from place to place, reigniting the the uh, the, the uh, pandemic. You know they're going to go. For, if you you're going to be fighting over counties, and I'll tell a story tomorrow about one of the counties in St. Louis. I got a report on this about how they sort of the, one of the bigger counties convinced the governor it was time to call an all state, uh, you know, great pause because that county was getting inundated with people coming from other places. They just couldn't control it. So we'll talk more about that. All right, I got to run, though. I got to run. Thank you for listening to the program. We'll be back tomorrow night. Of course, go to the Answer San Diego to follow, follow more and to get the show as a podcast. Thank you to Noah, our technical director, our team out of St. Louis, and we'll be back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Talk to you tomorrow night.